Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 132. Today I've got the pleasure of joining what I can only describe as a really up-and-coming star on the Football Index Twitter scene, FBI Trader. How's it going, mate? It's going well, mate. It's going well. Thanks for that kind introduction. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. Why don't you first of all explain kind of a bit about your background, why you've come to prominence, I suppose, on the Football Index Twitter timeline? Yeah, sure. probably started off in technology a long time ago. So I worked in a lot of investment banks, did a lot of their setups, did a lot of infrastructure work, did a lot of programming, development work. Basically got fed up with the nine to five grind and the time for money. So I just decided to do my own thing. I'd always been interested in horse racing. So I started getting more involved in the horse racing scene, betting professionally. And this is the days when sort of Betfair wasn't even around. So that gives you an idea of how old I am. Uh, yeah, I set up my own horse racing service. I was getting feeds in from the Press Association with all the data from various horse racing results and stats. Built my own statistical model on that and set up a service. People would subscribe to that and get all the data and the ratings and stuff. Yeah, just was betting on Betfair then once that came around. Doing a lot of in-play betting and looking for value, really, which is kind of a similar approach that I have on Football Index. I got fed up with working in technology, as I said, so I retrained to be a hypnotherapist and a mindfulness teacher. So that's taught me a lot about how the mind works and how it doesn't work sometimes and all the kind of traps that we can fall into. It's quite the career change, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just got fed up sitting at a desk all day and all the politics, all the red tape. I knew how to fix stuff and it would take two, three weeks to get stuff fixed, which you can probably sense some of my posts on Twitter about football (laughs) index. I do get a little bit frustrated by some of the kind of changes that I think could be implemented a little bit faster. The way I view Football Index is, although it's been around a few years, as a startup, they should be moving a bit faster with some of that stuff. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Really just have to take advantage of some of those situations. So, yeah, I started investing in the stock market during the sort of dot-com boom in the mid-90s. That was when the sort of NASDAQ rose from, I think it was about 1,000 to 5,000 or something. Got out of that just before the crash, mainly because I was worried about Y2K and everything blowing up. So I was working for a French investment bank at the time and the security guards and stuff were asking me for stock tips. So I realized that was the time it was maybe <laughs> good time to get out. There's a good quote from JFK's dad that when he was getting his shoes shined one day, the guy was giving him stock tips while he was shining him shoes. So he said, well, I'm going to get out now. And that was just before the big market crash of the depression, you know, so. I know it's quite a similar thing happened with cryptocurrency recently in 2017. I think it was barbers, cab drivers, literally everyone was talking about it. And at that point, I was like, this is a bubble. <laughs> I'm waiting for Uber drivers to ask me about football index and then I'll be starting to get worried. But so far, that hasn't happened yet, Touchwood. <laughs> That's not the worst thing in the world, though, if people are asking about in that direction. I mean, the model, whilst it currently appears to be in that kind of trajectory, will move more towards a Betfair exchange type of model. Yeah, absolutely. And when I get in my Uber, I like to talk about what I'm doing. I like to, you know, sort of interact with the drivers and they all seem really interested in it, especially because a lot of the guys are interested in football and stuff. I actually have very little interest in football historically. The last football match I went to was when Arsenal beat Liverpool 1-0 to win the league. (laughs) I think it was Michael Thomas scored the winning goal or something at Anfield. Not a bad game to go to. That was the best game that I'd ever been to and it was probably only the third game I've been to. I lived in North London at the time and a few of my mates were Arsenal supporters. But my knowledge of football isn't great. I've mainly been, like I say, looking at horse racing, but the margins have been getting tougher to make a profit in horse racing. I'm surprised I didn't discover Football Index sooner than I did, because for me, it's an ideal platform for me and my skill set. So I'm glad to be on board, you know. 
Awesome. So why don't you go into that a little bit more? When you found out about it, how you found out about it, maybe the skepticism at first and then kind of your journey up until now, because it's only been a few months, right? Yeah, I I probably looked at it end of January. I don't actually honestly remember how I found it, but I think it was on Twitter by one of my horse racing buddies who'd been dabbling in it. And I think I just came across it and I thought, was this a football exchange? Is it fantasy football? What is it? You know, so I basically logged in, put 100 quid in, started playing around with a few players. I think my first buy was Sancho. Not a bad one. (laughs) Seven quid or something. So just over seven quid. So I really just sort of looked into it. I looked at some of your videos, which were honestly really helpful. Thank you. Too kind. Really sort of escalated my learning curve and sort of took less time for me to understand the product. I looked through the FAQs. I got to understand the platform and sort of just threw a few hundred quid at it at first, just basically monitoring and seeing what caused the player to rise. Trying to learn as much about football as possible. I looked at SofaScore, researched a few players on there and just dabbled into it. Kind of one of the frustrations when I signed up, I guess, was the sort of lack of training for new users. Like I said, it was largely due to your pod and videos and stuff that helped me get up to speed. But I think my experience of spread betting helped with all of that and my lack of football knowledge didn't really hamper me, I didn't think. Probably the pet peeve when I kind of looked to invest a larger sum was the kind of disclosure process. I found that was like really very slow. It took me about two weeks to actually be able to get to deposit the amount I wanted to. That gave me kind of a bad impression of the product. You know, and I know sometimes these things take time, but you shouldn't be taking like two weeks to get your ID and address and something verified. It should be more streamlined than that, I think. But once that was all sorted, I put a bit more money in. I got a bit more familiar with the platform, started looking at index gain, which I discovered, which was, you know, it was like a geek Christmas present for me when I found that. <laughs> yeah, just started investing in a few more players and really started seeing some of the potential of it. Looked on Twitter, obviously, it's got a very active community, very vocal community. Obviously, there's some elements of it which are good and some elements of it which are bad, but I tend to ignore the bad and just focus on the guys that are producing good content. Whenever I see a spreadsheet or a screenshot, you know, I look a bit closer at that person and see what they've posted in the past. And just really, I think my approach with this to anything is to try and master it as much as possible, you know? Awesome. That's fantastic. The way you've explained your, your journey and also the pros and cons of the Football Index community is brilliant. I want you to just set a bit of context into... Why don't you give a little bit of an overview about how the media buzz system currently works and to what you've been kind of doing on Twitter and showcasing, I guess, not in a malicious way, it's flaws, but more, this is how big the potential of this mechanism is. Why don't you go into that a bit? Yeah, so I think really I'd looked at media a little bit. You know, obviously I was more focused on the games and the matches and the kind of PB and stuff. But when obviously COVID and everything kicked off, all we had was media. So I dug really deeply into that. I started looking at all the RSS feeds, the original source content from the news outlets. And I couldn't understand why some players were showing up and some players weren't. You know, it was kind of frustrating for me because I could see that it's not a true accurate reflection of the media rankings as to who is being mentioned in the media. I don't like to snipe and gripe at a product without any kind of solution or offering a kind of suggestion. So I could see that, you know, they're looking for the full names of a lot of players just in a title. And to me, they should be looking at just the surname and then matching that up with the full name in the actual content itself. So you have the two linked together. How difficult is that to do? I could probably do it in 20 minutes. Okay. So this isn't a problem of like doing it, probably some other problem, isn't it? I don't understand why it's not been implemented. Obviously, I don't know their tech setup. I don't know how their databases are set up. I don't know what kind of information they store. But really, if you're pulling in an RSS feed, you have all that data to hand. There's a tech solution to any problem, you know. So (laughs) I'm sure they've got the guys on board that can do this. Maybe it's because it hasn't been their 
number one priority. I know they've got order books coming down the line. They've had to sort of stem the maybe panic selling on the Black Thursday, I think it was. So that's maybe been their priority in terms of actually fixing technical stuff. Maybe they've already taken some of these suggestions on board. I did email their tech team, so hopefully they've taken some of that on board. Were they receptive to that? Well, I just got the message back saying it had been forwarded onto their technical support team. So I'd be hopeful that somebody would look at that and think, well, that's probably a good idea. It's more of a fairer reflection on the media, you know, because journalists are lazy. (laughs) There used to be a 100-character content limit on the title in RSS feeds, but since RSS2, that's no longer a problem. But journalists, sometimes they will write out the surname of the player in the draft of the website article, and then they'll update the website article after the RSS feed's been updated. So I see all these kind of things, and I think, well, you can't control and force all these news outlets to do this, so you should really adapt to that and offer a solution. I kind of just looked into it and offered a solution and forwarded it onto them, and I think it'd be a much fairer reflection of who's actually been talked about in the media. I think you've done some wonderful work, I honestly do. And I think FI know via their kind of tweets and kind of putting out those surveys, they know that media buzz, the algorithm, how it works is an issue. So we're going to get into that in a bit, aren't we? There's loads of questions about that. We've got one from FI Fernandez here to tee us up. This week, I asked the Twitter community about where their FI money came from. You had mentioned money made from spread betting from financial markets. Would like to know how successful you were at this and how did that experience help with FI and do you still do this? I mean, getting out at the top of the dot-com boom is probably quite some going, isn't it? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure whether that was intuition or just luck. You know, I think I just wanted to realize some of the profits. I could see that things don't always go up. When you're getting websites with a dot-com going up 200% in a day, it's great for your portfolio, but it's not sustainable. So I just kind of realized that, yeah, to, to get out at the right time. I did actually turn back to spread betting on kind of horse racing. So I would look at favorite indexes, winning distances and stuff. But I returned to the financial markets about maybe 10 years ago. I did some traditional buys of Amazon, Google, Starbucks, usual in 2015, 2016. And more recently, Netflix. As soon as the lockdown happened, I could see Amazon and Netflix would be bumped up massively. I think Netflix had the kind of best ever quarter, 16 million new subscribers. Yeah, crazy. So I think I've been pretty good at kind of anticipating or at least getting on trends early and exiting when I feel the momentum is maybe slowing down a bit. So I think that's going to help massively with FI because a lot of it is sentiment-based and identifying trends and then looking at the players in detail to see which of those are going to benefit most. I do still spread bet. I haven't been doing it so much lately because obviously deposit, the kind of bonus is running out tomorrow. And I've been doing a ton of research on sort of PB players and, you know, I want to take advantage of that as much as possible. So I've literally been looking at that solidly for the last few weeks. It's certainly an interesting journey you've had. You kind of have left no stone unturned. I mean, from tech whiz to kind of mindfulness man and spread betting courses, financial markets, so on and so forth. There's nothing you seem to not like to get your teeth into, if that's fair to say. Yeah, it's fair to say. I mean, I think also, you know, it's, it's the whole kind of money for time. It's, it's not to put a downer on people who work for a living. But for me, if you can teach yourself how to be self-sufficient and learn as much as you can about how to be financially independent, it's only going to be a benefit to you and just makes your life a lot easier. And kind of mindfulness does help with that because you can recognize the patterns of behavior that you fall into. If you see a lot of people pumping a certain player, instead of just saying, I'm going to get on board him, you'll maybe say, well, hold on a second and be able to stop and take a breath. And then just look into more detail and say, well, it doesn't fit as part of my strategy, you know. So it's definitely helped. And uh, yeah, I do like to put my teeth into things and also recognize when I do try and learn something that I'm not good at to back away from it and focus on my strengths, you know. 
Yeah, that's wise to do in any form of any walk of life, to be fair. I'm aware we're already 15 minutes in. We haven't answered that many questions. <laughs> it's probably my fault. FI Gardener, from your perspective, what more could Football Index do to get people to sign up and stay reasonably active? I mean, they've done a better job recently with some of their comms and stuff. When I initially joined, it had been pretty poor. I think the spreads is a potential issue at the moment. I know in the financial markets, they widen the spreads in periods of extreme volatility. I don't really see Football Index as being in a period of extreme volatility at the moment. Would you say that it's in a period of extreme uncertainty, though? I wouldn't say it's extreme uncertainty because we have the certainty of media. So that's still there. We do have the uncertainty of when football is returning, but there has been some positive signs lately coming out from Germany and stuff. So I think it was an extreme kind of reaction and, and a totally justifiable one to put spreads to 40% blanket. But I think they could have been starting to reduce them gradually or at least maybe pull them back by you know 10% or something just to maybe, I don't know, I think it's probably put a lot of new users off that don't understand the reasoning behind it. And I think, you know, they need to be careful about how they're perceived to the general public. I can totally understand why they've done it, like I said. In terms of other things they can do, to me, I think they're doing a great job. You know, it's a great platform. Obviously, the footy's been going up almost every day since. And I just think it's a really good platform. Once football does return, I can see it really taking off because the new users that will have joined will just get a real buzz out of it when the games start up again. So I think they've done a great job. Like I said, there's a few niggles they could probably sort out, but I think they've done a great job and it's fine the way it is, you know. I just want to ask a quick follow-up question to your personal journey. You know, you're not a big football man. How big a change has that been since FI has come into your life? Have you rapidly learned to love a club, to learn about football? I can't say for sure. I mean, I did watch a few of the Champions League games because at the time I was looking at kind of fixture analysis. So I was looking at teams that had a good run of fixtures Things like Wolves, you know, I don't know they had a good run of fixtures. So I'd look at players like Jota for, for Wolves and, you know, his performance in the Europa League. So I did get more involved in actually watching some of those games because I had an involvement with the players, you know. So I can't say I still can sit through a 90-minute match, but it certainly has increased my enjoyment of it. In terms of football, like I say, I used to be a kind of mild Arsenal fan, but <laughs> I can't really watch them play. It depresses me too much. Yeah, I think I've got a bit more of an interest in football now because of football index. But I can never see myself being a diehard fan. I'm more interested in the sort of financial freedom aspect of it and the challenge from a technical and an investment perspective. But, you know, that may well come with time. Got a question here from FI Mac. Uh, joining in 2020, a very odd start to your FI journey. Did you have an opening strategy and how has that differed with the COVID-19 implication for sporting fixtures? I don't know why it was an odd start, but my opening strategy was really just to spend a lot of time looking at players from the sort of top four, top five of the leagues going through sofa score, looking at our top goal scorers in those clubs that are sisters and looking at news for transfers and other kind of popular players getting a lot of mentions. And also on the Twitter football index hashtag, paying more attention to guys that were doing more sort of technical and thorough analysis, reading up on what they were writing. I think I was really just testing the water initially. It's changed, I guess, maybe because one of the key things about trading is, is never to be afraid to change your opinion on something once you see the facts in front of you, you know, so I would put people on my watch list like Bruno Fernandes at, I think, £4 something. And I thought I was actually too late on him, you know. So it's recognising when you've made an incorrect decision and going back on that and taking advantage of it. So like I said, I spent quite a bit of time in a fixture analysis buying players that had, you know, favourable fixtures. I usually required at least kind of two good reasons at least why I needed to purchase a player. Since COVID, I guess, 
I've been certainly looking more at guys that have media potential, as you can tell from my timeline. I've been digging a lot more into the RSS feeds, looking for guys that would be mentioned more than others. Once those media buys were all in place, I've just really been reinvesting dividends on the winners as I go along because reinvesting dividends is, is like a great way to increase your return on investment. I think it was a good post from, is it FI Stocksy or Stocky or something? He's put in details of how those reinvesting dividends would be reflected in top players like Pogba and stuff and the returns you get. So that's kind of what I've been doing. That's kind of how it's changed, really, more into media. Awesome. I mean, that's not really that unexpected considering the situation that we're in. Just before you get on to some more questions that you just need to plug, Index Gain, and they have been doing some remarkable things behind the scenes during this COVID period, including adding a kind of live feed of Index articles that get attributed to Media Buzz on their Slack platform, which is just truly amazing. I don't know if you've got some kind words to say about the guys over at Index Gain, FBI Trader, because I know you, you spoke glowingly of them earlier. Yeah, when I first joined FI, I was looking at setting up something like that. And when I discovered it, I thought, thank God, I don't have to do all that work. Like I said, it was excellent value for money. There's so many different stats you can look at. My latest research is looking at kind of star winning players over the last two years and some of their stats profiles that they have and then looking at other players that have the potential to meet those stats, basically prepping for the restart of the seasons to take advantage of the bonus offer and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing product. I'd recommend anyone get it. It's like less than 10 pounds or something. It's great value. Well, he's done my job for me. If you guys are interested in having a look at Index Gain, then you can head over to indexgain.co.uk. And if you use the code FIG2020, you get five quid off your first month. And then you also get one month free and another five quid on top of that if you go for the semi-annual plan with the FIG2020 code. And that's over on indexgain.co.uk. So do go check it out. They've basically added every single news article from every player from August 2018 onwards, which as I mentioned earlier, is bloody insane. So you can essentially determine who the real media magnets are. Got a question here from Football Index Buzz. To be new in 2020 and have such an understanding of the rules that you can recognize flaws is impressive. How much time did you initially spend understanding the index works and how much would you say that's helped in your initial period of trading? And what rules did you find most complex? Yeah, so I probably spent two to three weeks learning the rules, not just in FI, but you know, football in general, trying to understand how games panned out, how the points were awarded for different positions, researching good past performers, that's helped me massively. And then I just went in a little bigger with more confidence that I knew what I was doing, or at least thought I knew what I was doing. So I guess the most complex thing was getting to understand the PB matrix due to my limited football knowledge. So I spent a bit of time on that to understand the basics of the point scoring. Last few weeks, I've really delved deeper into that in quite a big way. So yeah, the PB matrix was probably my toughest learning curve, especially because I was looking at the old matrix graph before I realized that it changed at the start of last season. So that was quite interesting. <laughs> it's certainly complex. Do you think it's too complicated for it to become like a mainstream product? I don't think it's too complicated, but you know, like with anything, you can always simplify things. But anybody that knows football, I guess it's not complex. You know, they can understand about crosses, they can understand about assists and all that kind of stuff and identify those players that are going to benefit most, especially if they watch football. For me, because I don't watch football, I had to really look into the data side of things. And sometimes I did look at sort of replays of games to see how that actually worked in the real world. I think it's getting that balance right between the stats and what you actually see with your eyes. Nice. Well, we've got a question here from Soccer Index. As a new trader to Football Index this year, what surprised you most and what would you change about the media dividend mechanics? That could be a, a long-winded question. <laughs> yeah, how long have we got? <laughs> I think what surprised me was, was kind of how accessible and popular the product was and that I'd not discovered it in the three or four years 
I've been sort of gambling. So I've been up and running, I guess, for a few weeks. I mean, I consider it, you know, like I say, the ideal platform for my kind of historical skill sets and my experience. So with media, I was kind of surprised at the inconsistency with the removal of articles and what was deemed football related or not. What would I change? I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, I do talk a lot. I try and keep it short. No, no, no. It's so much better when I don't speak. <laughs> so media, I would change so that it searches for the key terms that they deem to be unsavory. So sex, racism, police, and give them a negative score. I'd also build their own word lists of uh, AFIN. You know, removing the word United for starters would be one of my first things. Like I said, searching for the surname and the headline, the full name and the article content. I'm also surprised at how many players are missing from the index. I don't know if they have a decent solution to this. I think there's like just over 3,300 odd players. Lots of them are missing. I know they had problems with their IPO press process, but that was kind of a little bit before my time, but I understand it was maybe load related or tech related. Did you listen to the podcast with their CTO on it? I didn't actually get that one, but I probably should have listened to that one. One of the things from a very high level, and again, I'm not a techie, so you might call me an idiot at some point during this paragraph. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> he basically says that at any given point on the, on the platform, there's about a thousand people trading, right? At any given point. When they IPO Jude Bellingham, there was 38,000 people trying to get him. And that's why they collapsed, basically, from a technical standpoint. Yeah, so there's ways to resolve that. There's ways to sort it out. If they know how many users are on the platform, they should be performing load testing on their infrastructure. So they basically hammer it with that many people trying to do buys or simulate buys. And then they look at those results and then they do performance tuning on their servers or add new servers. If they just add one player, the focus is all going to be on that one player. If they added maybe 100 players at a time, some people might think that would be worse, but actually the load would probably be distributed across a raft of players. So you'd IPO multiple players at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. They should really have the tech capabilities of IPOing 20, 30 players a month if they need to. I don't know if they did it during a certain time of the day or something. There was at one point, they did them randomly. I think Jude Bellingham, they did like a notification saying that he'd got onto the platform, which probably didn't help them out. Yeah, so it shouldn't be a case that just one player would be so popular you could crash a website like that if they're releasing it. I don't know how their databases are set up. I'd imagine they should probably have a separate database for all the kind of historical transactions of people's buys and sells so they could provide a much better front-end interface for that kind of thing. There's issues with kind of clubs being wrong. Some of the bios are out of date. It just needs to be kind of crisper and sharper and better performing and consistent across all devices, you know? I agree. I'm sure that's on their radar, but, you know, they need to really have a solution for that and also kind of communicate that, you know, communicate the progress of what they're doing. I haven't heard anything about IPOs. I don't know if you have. I think the last thing we heard, honestly, was from that podcast where they said they might be a few weeks away. But for me, in the current form that they've been done, I think it just doesn't really make sense to continue doing them. They need to have some sort of like ordering system, right? Where people kind of order a share at a certain price and the kind of higher price wins, essentially. And then if you have order books, then that price becomes a lot more liquid and then it kind of settles at a much more realistic price rather than having this kind of Jude Bellingham, Adil Ashish issue where you don't really know what's happened, what price he is, what price you can sell at, etc. Yeah, the price needs to be determined by the market, basically, you know. But in terms of the load, you know, they should have the tech capabilities to cope with everybody buying 10 players at a time. You know, worst case scenario, if they can cope with that, then they should be able to cope with any other issues. How do you expect the NASDAQ integration to look like from kind of, you know, holistic level, general platform side of things? It's not really something I've looked at. You know, I've still to look at your YouTube video that you did on order books. I'm familiar with order books, you know, in a trading perspective. 
But obviously, you're looking at big companies like IG.com, looking at some of the big trading companies. I'd worry from a tech standpoint, if they did have a problem with an IPO for one player, I mean, I'm hoping they've really tested this thoroughly because I think adding that sort of level of complexity, it could possibly put off less educated users or people that are just, you know, gamblers that just want to have a bit of fun. I think they've got to be careful to keep that balance between keeping the product simple and intuitive to having it fully functional. It is a balancing act. So I'd love to hear their process or sitting in some of their meetings about some of that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I still can't give up the tech in me, but I'd like to think it would create much more liquidity in the market. People would be able to see what prices they're getting. They'd be able to see the queues. It'd be more feature rich. I think it's a really good thing. I just don't know if now's the right time for it. I think there's probably other things they probably need to look at before that. I'd like to think they'd maybe look at media first. I know they're talking about expanding into Germany and stuff like that. So it'd be nice to see a roadmap of what their kind of plans are. Yeah, I guess the only thing I do have sympathy for them being on the inside of a startup that's gone from like 20 people to 200 myself, something becomes like a big part of your roadmap and then a month later it just disappears just simply because of how nimble you are as a company. And FI are probably in that time now where like two years ago X was a priority and now Y is a priority. And the larger they grow though, the less that should happen, the less nimble you can be just because of how many people you have at your organization and things like an integration with NASDAQ where they are a gargantuan institution. It's hard to actually do that very simply. So there are a few variables there, but overall, I do agree with you. We've got a question here from FI Jack. Are you happy with FI's clarification on removing all stories relating to sex, crime and violence, or does it still leave someone FIHQ to be a moral adjudicator? Or would you prefer to allow all stories but have negative sentiment scores to ensure they aren't rewarded? I've kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit. I mean, at first I thought, well, everything should be allowed to stand unless somebody's actually been charged with a crime. The Jack Grealish situation, for example, that was all rumor and speculation. Okay, he was probably, I don't want to go into what he was probably doing, but you know, people were making a lot of assumptions that he didn't get charged. Maybe morally he was wrong to be sort of breaking lockdown and that kind of stuff. But I think for those stories to stand, I was fine with that because as far as I could see, a crime hadn't been committed or proven to be committed. But it does leave a lot of gray area. So I think the negative scoring for those that they perceive to be you know, sex, crime or violence related, it should be as automatic as possible and it should not require any manual intervention. You know, Like I said, it looks a little bit amateurish at times, inconsistent. And it probably didn't give a good impression to kind of new or existing users, especially as, you know, some stories were left up for hours. I don't know whether that's why they extended the media deadline to 8pm, but, (laughs) you know, they should have a pre-live media rankings table on a separate server somewhere where someone can either manually approve them or disprove the articles before they go live on the website. Because then that way, people aren't being impacted financially if they're making trading decisions based on standings and players where articles could be removed. So I think they should maybe look to automate that rather than manually trying to decide what's right and wrong. Is that difficult to do? It's probably more difficult than the first name, surname thing with the players. But like I said, everything's got a technical solution. So like I said, the entire process should be like as automatic as possible. Obviously, you're going to require the odd thing that's going to have manual intervention if something you know skips the loop because it's difficult to get every eventuality covered. But you know, I'd like to think they'd be able to develop a better solution at the moment because uh, to me, it doesn't give a good impression. You're right. And I think it's interesting. I wouldn't be against either of those kind of solutions, you know, a negative sentiment scoring. I think me and Panda have talked about that in a few of the episodes. Something's got to budge, right? It's got to go either one way or the other, doesn't it? Yeah, because 
every time one of these things happen, whether it's Jack Grealish or Kyle Walker, you know, he was basically, as far as I'm concerned, okay, he was having sex, but prostitution is legal. So <laughs> you can say it wasn't football related, but it was about a footballer and it was in the news and it was in the media. So you could argue that could have stood. But I don't know if I have to kind of make a decision, okay, everything around sex, everything around crime, everything around violence, around racism, have those keywords filtered out off the titles and just don't have them appearing on the website at all. You know, don't remove them after they've already gone onto the website. You know, so have a kind of pre-live table that they can filter. Yeah, I mean, you make a few good points there. It's definitely something that FI are going to be kind of really heavily looking at. Did you do the media survey? I don't think I did the media survey because there was nothing in the media survey that I wanted to raise. And I'm not sure if I was maybe away that week as well. And by the time I got back, I just couldn't be arsed. So I looked at some of the questions and I thought, well, there's bigger things to look at than the questions that are being asked, you know? Really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think what they possibly need to do is listen to the community. You know, sentiment is everything, like I say. And, you know, if you're looking at the Football Index hashtag and you're seeing all these comments about people getting upset because a story has stood above another one, which was removed the previous week. People just want to see consistency. That's all they want. What do you think about like broadening the source pool? I mean, alone in the UK, before we even talk about internationally, should we be getting more direct live feed from every single big outlet in the UK? And also, should they be capped, do you think, in terms of the articles? They are allowed to be attributed? So when I first joined and I saw how many Daily Express articles were being produced, I thought, man, this is just ridiculous. You know, how can the media rankings be so swayed by one publication? That's how it seemed to me. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to take advantage of this. You know, it is how it is. I think one of the questions was about clickbait prostitutes, <laughs> you know, the Sun and the Express. And, you know, those guys are going to produce a lot of content. And, okay, your player might not benefit one week, but then again, another player you hold may well benefit the next week. So I think it's just part and parcel of how the media works. I definitely would expand it to, you know, I know you kind of involved with The Athletic. I've looked at some of their stuff and they produce really good content. But, you know, the RSS feed, you can only see a certain amount of it unless you have a subscription, I think. So I don't really know the depth of the content that much, but they could certainly expand the pool. And, you know, some of the other media that I've looked at outside of the Daily Mail and the Daily Express, the Sun and the Mirror, those are the key kind of broadsheets, if you like. Some would call them rags. But if you look at some of the other websites, they're often rehashing articles from those papers. So I think you would just have an even more kind of inflated situation. Like if Sancho's mentioned in the Express 20 times and you open it up to some of the other publications that I've been looking at that will reproduce that article or take that and write it in their own style, then it will be even more unfair, I guess, you know, because it's, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really dug too much into alternative publications. I've really just sort of looked at the existing ones. But this problem with multiple articles around the same topic or player, especially from the Express and stuff, the media are writing about it. And I think if you cut them all out or if you try and limit those, you'd have far less articles. It would probably be far less predictable. I don't know if people really want that. I think people like predictability. I think it's just a case of recognizing that and taking advantage of it, looking for trends and jumping on board. People tend to only complain when it's not their player that's been written about or when it's a player that sort of does their existing hold on the finishing line, you know, because he's got a 120-point article. I'm not saying that anybody's doing that, but it's just a general observation on Twitter. You know, sometimes you might benefit from it, other times you won't. But I think the best way of dealing with it is just not to worry about it too much. Some wise words there. I do want to move us on because I know we're going to run over yeah. massively if we don't. FI Forest, I hope it's not too late. 
As an MB man, do you think the clickbait prostitutes, namely Daily Mail, Daily Express, The Sun, Daily Mirror, have any place in the MB points total? You've said this one yourself quickly, but I just want to ask, you know, these kind of clickbait prostitutes, as you say, or as F.I. Forrest says, which is a very apt name, I suppose, that's how they make their money, right? The amount of clicks they get. So obviously they're going to post more content. One of the things that I think they might be able to do is if certain articles are nearly replicas of the other, of one another, then they might not count. Would that be difficult to do? With pattern matching, it could be done. But from my experience of the way they kind of formulate the headlines of these articles, it'd be very difficult. Like I say, you could probably find a technical solution for that. But you would also have people complaining, why is this article not been appearing on the media table? You could look at possibly restricting the amount of articles to, I don't know, five from each outlet or something, but which five would you include? Would it be the first five of the day? Would it be the five highest point scoring articles? I think it's best just to leave it and recognize it. That's my honest answer. I tend to agree with. The other thing about the limiting thing, it kind of limits the amount of points that people can win. Yeah, and you'll probably end up with the same players winning quite a lot of the time. Got a question here from FI Lambings. How would you look to structure media opening up to international sources and would you still weight it towards the UK media? (laughs) That's a good question. I don't think it should be deliberately weighted towards UK media. It does need to be more balanced than that, but I think it might naturally still be weighted towards UK media from my own observations. I've got a lot of foreign outlets in my RSS feeds that I look at and filter for various players. And football players are written about far more often in the UK than across Europe, apart from a few obvious exceptions like Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Pogba, interestingly enough. More recently, Coutinho, Lataro Martinez, those kind of guys. But I think from my research, I'd look at all the key media sources across Europe and do testing with a batch of different players to make sure they have everything working okay first. Not just the kind of surname, full name issue, because in Europe, they'd never put the player's full name in there. So like the difference between, I think it was like 40% plus of articles are lost in Europe compared to the UK, just because the full name isn't there. But also because, you know, they need to have their translations accurate for their word matrix, things like special characters being recognized, treated as sort of regular letters. My wife's actually a translator and she thinks <laughs> she thinks any kind of kind of automatic translation is flawed, but she might be biased, I don't know. <laughs> might be putting her out of a job, but I think the translation and subsequent kind of point scoring could be the biggest difficulty. Is there a way around that? You said tech can fix anything, so I'm only jesting there. Yeah, that's cool. I've never had to deal with international media sources, but I think the translation, you know, if you look at some of the stuff that you put into Google Translate, you don't always get an accurate translation. So really, they'd probably have to have at least a team of translators in each region who would get the word matrix right. That would be the biggest part of the job. But once that's in place, and the special characters and stuff, then it should all be pretty straightforward. So yeah, that would be the biggest part of the job, actually getting the word matrix translations part. Would you be tempted as a FI in this media review to kind of flip the switch and make it completely open that the UK is only kind of a small portion of the media to reflect real-world football? Or would you start by edging it in, edging those European sources slowly into the current media system? I think what I'd do initially would be, I'd like to think they've got a test environment. So what I would do is start loading up a few European outlets, you know, some of the key publications in Germany, Spain, France, and Italy. And then I would test out their kind of word matrix to make sure everything's being scored accurately and then start to release it in a kind of slow process. 
But once they're comfortable that all the translations are working and they don't have any kind of RSS-related issues with the foreign outlets, then they should just let it go live. I mean, it's hard to say, would they cut back a little bit on the UK media? Because what kind of percentage would you look to cut back on that? You could ultimately start to upset quite a lot of people that are involved in the UK. Obviously, it's a very heavily UK-focused platform because it's only in the UK. So (laughs) they have to be a little bit careful with that kind of stuff. But I think if they do enough thorough testing, they should be able to get something where it's a, an accurate reflection, you know, in Europe. That's uh, some really interesting comments there. I think it's just whether or not it changes the existing bets too much and whether or not it shifts value around too much. Would people be willing to sacrifice, you know, a better, more inclusive product in the future to kind of maybe short term falls in some of the prices of the players that they hold because it's kind of UK centric and, and driven. It's, it's quite an interesting problem for FI to be in. It definitely is. And, you know, I think you'd see players like Neymar go on massive rises. Any single worded players would currently rise like massively. That's if we assume that they wouldn't fix the first name, second name thing that we're hoping that they would. But with Neymar, it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Got a really good question here from Sam Richards, who asked this on a previous podcast, and he's recycled his question, which is All right. you know, very environmentally conscious of him. Since the media change, Yaya Torre has won more media than Mbappe, Sancho, Neymar, and combined. Obviously, not anymore with Sancho, and I don't know about Neymar. This was during the 7% thing. I was going to say, I didn't understand that question at all, because... I think it's Stanner's FI on Twitter. He's produced some excellent work on the media winners recently, the devs, yields, and total scores. And to be honest, I think Yaya Torre, did he used to play for Man City? I don't really know who he is, so I don't know how old that question is. Jan 2020. All right, okay. So I think he went to China and he, he was talking about playing in China or something like that. All right, okay. It says, this is not sustainable for the product to flourish. When do you think MB overhaul will be announced? How pressing an issue is this for FI? I do worry that they introduce or prioritize things like order books before addressing the more fundamental issues like media, maybe the website, IPOs, maybe. Because order books would add an additional layer of complexity for those who might not be used to them. I'm talking about the casual gambler, you know. I'd hope they finish sorting the media before football starts again. Mm, Interesting. Because they'll surely have other things to focus on as soon as football starts, you know. So now I feel is an ideal time to really put in place some changes. In reality, though, probably before the start of next season, it is a little bit of a pet hate that they don't seem to operate as leanly as a startup should. I know they've been around for a while, but they still have this appearance of a startup to me. So I think they should be maybe moving faster and, let's say, listening to feedback from the community over some of these things and maybe prioritizing them. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there must be some big priorities at hand that are larger than, I guess, MB with order books and maybe IPOs and maybe some other things that we don't know about. Just before we move on, you mentioned The Athletic earlier, and today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're a subscription-based website bringing amazing sports coverage to their subscribers. They feature amazing football reporters such as David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Raphael Honigstein. And if you guys want 50% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, then it definitely is the best sports writing around. In my opinion, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash fig. So that's theathletic.co.uk slash fig. It's £2.49 a month if you go for their annual deal, which is not a lot of money, is it? I don't know if you've been buying anything for more than £2.49 recently, FBI? I think probably the closest thing I bought was probably about £2.50, which is just over. got some flower seeds from my garden. So I've got some Oklahoma Zinnias and Cosmos Sensations, just because I like the name of them. But they're really colourful and I just need something to do with my time under lockdown, you know. You might have to take up some stuff with FI Gardener. Yeah, I've seen them about, so I might have to pick his brains on that because I have no idea what to do except for put them in the ground and hope they grow. <laughs> Probably need to add some water, don't you? Yeah. I'm no expert, but... Yeah, sunshine. Can't be that hard, is it? Easiest part of that formula. Yeah. Football Index, Gomesh, 
how confident are you that FI will still expand to another European country this year? I'd probably say zero chance on that this year, for sure. Like I say, I'm not aware of their testing and rollout process, but Germany's a great gambling market. I think it would be a brilliant move for them to go into Germany. I understand that's maybe one of the ones they've been looking at first, but there's also the kind of restrictions in certain areas, things like tax and other stuff to look at. I know Betfair had problems with in the past. For me, they need to focus on getting everything working perfectly in the UK, get media sorted, order books. Once all that's flowing smoothly, then look at expansion. The last thing you want to do in a German market is open up when you've got outstanding issues. They won't like it. I'm kind of with you. I think there's a lot of regulatory red tape. I think COVID has just pushed everything so far out. And I think a lot of people really underestimate how big an impact it has uh, on pretty much every walk of life. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds simple, expanding to Germany or expanding to a European country, but it's a massive job, you know. Would you bother if you were FI to expand to any of these countries if it isn't pooled liquidity? No, it needs to be pooled liquidity. You can't have separate products. I don't think it works. I could go into a lot of detail, but I'm way over short on time, so. <laughs> Got a question here from Headhunter, as always. Do you think this period without football will change traders' trading habits? Traders' trading habits, that was a mouthful. Longer term. In terms of recognition of the value of media, market selling, patience, more in-depth analysis, and any other areas? I hope so. You know, I hope that people would become more appreciative of the platform. You know, you can't underestimate the power of gratitude in your life. And we're exceptionally lucky that we can trade and make profits during this time when kind of all other forms of gambling have shut down. You know, unless you're betting on virtual racing, which I hope nobody is. You know, I'd hope people know more about market selling now and how important media devs are to their overall portfolio and hopefully more patience. I think many will slip back into bad habits when football is back because we tend to be creatures of habit. But the optimist in me hopes that people do become better, smarter and more patient traders as a result, you know? Yeah, I think what might actually kickstart the kind of whole valuing side of thing is when they have to have us determine the price of IPOs through kind of like a bidding system. Yeah, totally. People will be forced to kind of actually bid a certain price for a player and how will people determine that price? Yeah, I'm surprised that isn't how it was happening anyway, because, you know, that's how IPOs generally happen from my experience. So I think that's a great solution. The market decides what the price is. Got a question here from Ginger Pirlo FI. It's a hashtag Figcast. If the Newcastle takeover goes through, do you lads think the change is the attractiveness for owning their current half decent players? And will future big money signings be greeted with floods of buys or jumping off the ship as they aren't high profile a club enough? I'll let you answer this one first. <laughs> <laughs> I think the some of the players that they have people might have been hoping to hold for kind of lots of buys during the season due to hype and good performances and then maybe a transfer in the coming transfer windows but considering they have now got the richest owners of any football club ever 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 then i'm not sure how likely it is some of their players in the future will be leaving as soon as they maybe would have but then on the other hand could they eventually turn into kind of like a man city juggernaut where if you look at some of city's player prices they're obviously on average, a lot higher than Newcastle United. So there's too many variables. It's, it's very speculative yeah. to, to kind of think of it. But big money signings, it depends who they are, what their profile is. I mean, if you're signing bloody Lionel Messi, then I'm sure he'd probably go up on a move to the Premier League. But that's obviously not the kind of calibre of player that we're kind of thinking about. It's so hard to say. It's too early on, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know too much about the takeover and what kind of process it's in. But one thing I've kind of discovered is the biggest risers and more popular players tend to be an existing top tier club, you know, it makes perfect sense. But my knowledge of Newcastle players is pretty non-existent. I think I've only looked at, is it Alan St. Maxim or something? Mm -hmm. And I swear to him just because he was at Newcastle. <laughs> I'd worry about a takeover from a country with such a poor human rights record. I have a bit of an issue with that, you know, Saudi Arabia, but that's just a personal gripe. But 
I'd say any big money signing would attract some attention, but I think their short to midterm growth potential might be limited because of the club. They did also have a big money signing in the summer, didn't they? Joel Linton for £40 million. He's not exactly set the world alight and he's not done that well FI-wise either. Yeah, it's not somebody I know, but I think you can't just buy a big money player and expect him to fit into a mid-table team or Newcastle. I don't know even where they are. I would think it takes time to integrate players into a squad. Oh, yeah, to definitely. Get used to the environment and everything. I mean, like if that. we go back to when Man City first got taken over, who was it? Alano, Rabinio, the two Torre brothers. Only one of them did really well, I suppose, there. Gail Clichy. They bought a host of players, Gareth Barry. There was loads and loads and loads of signings. Some did well, some didn't. I've tried that in Football Manager. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. That's probably a good place to leave that question. Player Poacher FI, do you analyse every player you buy beforehand or is there any that you have never seen play before? I mean, <laughs> judging by your comments earlier, you haven't seen half of them play. <laughs> I think I've got about 150 players. I think I've probably seen about 10 of them. <laughs> Apart from a few in the Champions League. You know, I prefer to do other things with my time on the weekends rather than watch football, but I'm planning on changing that a bit in the future, you know, watching a game or two a week or highlights and stuff. But yeah, I tend to look at the data first and foremost. But sometimes I don't always delve as deep as I usually do if I've got like an intuitive feel about a player or if he fits into a particular strategy, whether that's PB performance or transfers or he's a media-friendly player already that I've noticed. Like I say, I've started playing the football manager a little bit lately and it's I think it was FI Genesis or somebody on Twitter, one of his posts that caused me to be hooked on it. So I think my wife wants to have a word with him. But <laughs> just to understand a bit more about strategy and the lineups and all those kind of things. But you know, I've read a Telegraph article that mentioned players like Mbappe had been tipped for greatness by a football manager before he even made it. So I don't think you necessarily need to look at football matches to be successful on Football Index. It may well improve your ROI if you do, but you know, you've got to weigh up the time versus you know money. Last question here from FI and Tonic. Here's the question. Here it is. And I've, I've left him hanging because this is the last one we're reading today. Due to the current landscape, could we see some clubs opt for an Mbappe-style deal in order to secure big-name players? Or will the super clubs continue to purchase at current levels and smaller clubs slash prices of starlets due to needing cash? I probably still don't really know enough about how the football transfer market works, but I'm sure you know I've read recently about one deal where Arsenal were interested in a Real Betis player and Real Betis were interested in another Arsenal player. So that made me think that rather than big deals, it could be like a cash plus player deal. Yeah, Certainly something I've done to offload Ozil in Football Manager. Players like big wages that some teams don't want if you offer them as part of a deal plus cash. But I don't know whether that translates to the real world or not. No, I could give you the short answer. Yeah. I managed to loan out Mesut Ozil to Leicester and I doubt he'd be going out there and I doubt that Leicester would be pulling up the trees to get him up in the Midlands and, and paying any of his salary. But what I will say is that we've already seen it to some extent. Porto aren't a small club, but their prized asset at the moment in Alex Tellez, their left back, is going to PSG for about 25 million euros, I think. And his bar right. clause is 40 million euros. Usually these Portuguese clubs in Lisbon, Porto and Benfica, they are very dour in their dealings. They don't let many players go for under their buyout clauses. So I think that's probably setting the tone to some extent. Yeah, I guess it depends on each individual's club's finances as well. Can't imagine Man United would have a problem with big transfer fees, whereas some clubs lower down may need to offload their better players, for example, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. It's going to be club dependent on what happens. And I think it's going to be an interesting summer. Some teams are going to really have to start thinking about their recruitment. Yeah, definitely. And it's an interesting time for me to have joined. It's uh, <laughs> I don't think I could have picked a, a more difficult time to have joined, but mm. the fact that the market is kind of booming gives me a lot of confidence in the product, especially when games return. Yeah, 
I think it's going to be fantastic when football returns. I mean, on that, last question from me, when do you think football will be back? I have no idea. It's a simple <laughs> answer. Probably the right answer, isn't it? With mindfulness, I, I kind of have this opinion and belief that if you have expectations, you're going to be disappointed. So if you have no expectations, you're not really ever disappointed. So I would hope to think that there's been some rumours coming out with Germany playing behind closed doors. I think May, was it? Mid-May or something? I know some of the other countries are struggling a little bit more with the virus, but UK's certainly been not dealing with it the best, I don't think. So I'd like to think maybe, I don't know, the least optimistic in me would say start of June before we start to see football really up and running. Okay, that's not too far away. <laughs> I mean, your least optimistic is more optimistic than mine, most optimistic, I think. That's my most optimistic. My, my least optimistic is probably oh, right. season's cancelled and uh, they start again next year. Yeah, we'll see what happens, I suppose. Probably somewhere in between. Yeah, that's probably the correct answer. But anyway, mate, we've just ticked over an hour here. You've been fantastic. I think you've probably offered three hours of content in one hour. People are probably going to have to listen to that one on 0.5 speed. <laughs> Where can people find out more about some of the great stuff that you're doing? So I'm on Twitter, FBI Trader. I've also got Media FBI on Twitter, which is just pulls in some of the RSS feeds from the main outlets, but it's limited to the first 250 articles a day. So <laughs> don't be surprised if you see it drop off after a while. So that's where you can find me. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. It's been awesome having you on. Sorry if you guys didn't get your question asked. There was quite a few and quite a few that came in last minute as we were recording. If you guys are still commuting and you're still one of those essential staff workers, then keep up the good fight. You're doing amazing work. If you're not commuting, doing whatever you're doing, have a great day. Just want to remind everyone that Football Index is a gambling platform, only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thank you very much for watching, watching, listening, and have a great day. Hold up. 